hope you followed the trail with us from exuberation on Sunday, as laid out by Eric, to essentially isolation on Friday, as laid out by Chris. Betrayal in the middle, laid out by Travis. And we've seen historically, chronologically, we've seen time and space evidential details that showcase for us the, the last week of Christ's life, what is called Passion Week. Passion just a a way of saying the suffering week of Christ. Now, I want you to notice that we've intentionally tried to show you this morning the various historical aspects and details. Lots of scriptures they read. As you leave today, you'll get another handout with all of the days of Passion Week and more scriptures to try to show you something, that there is an actual time and space, there's an evidential nature to this week in Christ's life. Notice all the names of the people, the eyewitnesses, the, the cities, the places, the encounters, the, the officials in Rome, the, the, the details about his torture. I mean, these are not accidental insertions of made-up details. These are, these are actual places and people and, de- and, 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 and names that show us the reality of Christ's final week. Now, I want you to process that for a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. What does that chronological timeline tell us? What does the historical nature, the data, where does it lead us? What does the time and space reality of the last week of Christ's life, where should it point us? And here's the answer. It may provide a lot of things for us, but I think here's what I would say is the ultimate answer. This is the ultimate destination of all the data, the historical time and space details of Christ's final week. It's this beautiful truth that God loves you. In fact, this is precisely the point Paul makes in his letter to the Romans. And to wrap up this journey through his last week, I want to show you how Paul says that that that, that moment when Christ died is actually how we know God loves us. Look at Romans chapter 5, just for a few closing minutes, would you? Romans chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse 6, but I want to make sure you understand that as I read verse 6, I'm coming off the heels of verse 5. Verse 5 is Paul's explanation of one of the subjective ways that we know about God's love. Do you see it there in verse 5? The Holy Spirit pours out God's love into our hearts. Now, he doesn't say the Holy Spirit's being poured out in our hearts. He says the love of God is being poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so he's talking about the love of God, and, and in this case, the subjective experience of it doesn't mean that it's subjective in that it may or may not have happened, but the degree of how it happens and the manner in which it happens. It's individual in nature because God's Holy Spirit is, is showering individuals' hearts with this love that God has for us. It's the subjective way of knowing God loves us, and then he moves right into the objective way we know God loves us. Watch what he says next. For, so this is the transition word. How do we know objectively God loves us. He's already told us he know, we know subjectively because the Holy Spirit sheds it abroad in our hearts. But how do we know 
This love is genuine and real and, and factual and true. Watch this next phrase, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He points to a time and space historical moment when Christ died as evidence, as objective evidence that God loves you. Let's keep reading. He says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. I'll explain that in a minute. Look at verse 8. Again, here's what his point is. But God shows. And that word show, is, it's a legitimate translation. But it's really, a, um, we don't get the, the impact of that word. It means to undeniably prove. It means to display without any sense of denial. So, so God demonstrably evidences. God factually shows God undeniably proves his love for us. And look what he says again. He repeats himself. In that while we were still sinners, say it with me, church, Christ died for us. So when you look at the historical crucifixion of Jesus, the data of his last week, the time and space reality of all the evidences, you should be left ultimately with this incredible grand realization that God loves you. Why? Because Christ died for you. And Christ's death was not a mythical Lord of the Rings fantastical type of show or, or movie or parable. It was time and space reality. Historical. Evidential. Across six days over 2,000 years ago all that Christ endured that led to his death it happened, it was done, so that you would know definitively God loves you. Let's finish this portion of Romans 5. Paul now says, here's what the result is. We know the action, right? Christ died. It's mentioned three times, in fact. Verse 6, verse 8, and verse 10. We'll see that. That's the action. Here's the result, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood... Paul is already jumping ahead to the words, it is finished, the satisfaction that God has received from Christ's death, the justification that we now have because of that. He says, we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Twice he uses the word saved. Verse 9, do you see that? We're saved by him. And then verse 11 here, excuse me, verse, end of verse 10, we're saved by his life. So the, the action was that Christ died, mentioned three times. The result is that we are saved, mentioned two times. And you can, this is very synonymous to other phrases here. The idea of being reconciled to God, no longer being under his wrath. That's what he means by the word saved. And he concludes in verse 11 by saying this, More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So he says we rejoice in God that through the death, the historical, evidential, in real time and space death of Jesus Christ, God no longer counts us as enemies. We're not under his wrath. We have been saved. I love that biblical word, don't you? You have been rescued. God in his amazing great love, has rescued you 
through the death of his son. You see, so this week as you kind of process, you'll take the handout you'll be, you'll be given. You'll process what these other pastors have said. And you'll think through what happened Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, how things culminated Friday. Here's where I want you to end up. I can't imagine that God would love me this much. And you're not rooting that in some type of hope for, I wish, let's take a chance, maybe. You're rooting that in six days of authentic, evidential, time and space history. And every bit of that says and screams to us, God really loves us. Can I bring even more weight to that? I mean, that's, that's overwhelming, isn't it? Is your heart just kind of pounding right now? Mine is. It's just, it's just must be massaged. The Holy Spirit's doing verse 5 right now among us, pouring out God's love in our hearts. But let me bring a little more weight to that by showing you what I call our identifying nouns in these verses. Because they'll show us a couple things. They'll show us the, the, the costliness of the gift, the, the value of the gift, and they'll show us just who we are as well. Notice a couple of identifying nouns here. I think throughout the text, verses 6, 8, and 10 show us who exactly died. We could ask this question, well, who actually died in real time and space? The answer is, as the text says to us, Christ. Or as verse 10 says even more bluntly, God's son. Do you see it in verse 10? The death of his son, he's speaking there of God. So Christ refers to the to the title given to Jesus as the Old Testament long-awaited Messiah. So it's, it's here's the eternal Christ, the Jesus who's been with the Godhead since eternity past. He's now becoming flesh, becoming man. He's living among us 33 years, and he is the one who dies for us. He's the Messiah, the long-awaited one. The second person of the Trinity gives his life for you. And it's not just that God looked into a, 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 a crowd of strangers or to a room full of unknowns and says, you know what, you'll do, go die. Or I pick you because, you know, I don't know you. God actually sends himself. God sends his son. This is a mystery, church. I mean, I find myself at a loss for words to say to you, God sent himself. God sent his son. God's the second person. Those are all true. How does he do that? I don't know. I'm just thankful he did. That in the, the sovereignty and power of the triune God, he sent himself to die. Wow. He sent the long-awaited Christ. That shows the value of this gift, doesn't it? That he actually sent himself. He gave his son. But who did he give his son for? I mean, you must be a pretty good person to deserve that gift, right? Let's look at some other identifying nouns that tell us who the ones were that Christ died for. Verse 6, 8, and 10 again. He uses these nouns. We're the weak. <laughs> we're the ungodly. Look at verse 8. We're sinners. Look at verse 10. We're enemies. So let's correct NBC when it comes to this is us, right? <laughs> We know who this is, us, us is. It's not all the good people. It's not all the folks who deserve the applause. This is actually us. <laughs> the weak, the sinners, the enemies, the non-reconciled. The Man. And see, this is what is so striking about this text. When you realize who we actually are, 
And yet you see what God actually did? You begin to fathom and understand how deep God's love must be. Because you see, this is counterintuitive to how we think. We think like verse 7 says. That you would give someone to die if they're a really good person. Here's what the reasoning is. If you find a righteous person and they're about to end their life, you know, they're about to die or however what's happening there, you don't want that to happen. Let's, let's take someone who's not as good as they are. Let's let them die because you want the better person to stay around. They can get more accomplished. They can get more good done. That's kind of the human reasoning. And you might find someone who would die for a righteous person because it would enable their life to be longer. And he says here, you might even find someone who would dare to die for a good person. In other words, if you stack up the people in the pecking order, you might find somebody to die for a really good one, and you, you may be able to find someone who dies for someone who's decently good. But you don't ever find anybody willing to die for the bad people, right? That's how it works in our minds, but that's not God. Which is why you love verse 8. Because God didn't die, so to speak, in this sense. He didn't die for the good people or the righteous people. Remember Mark, what Travis taught us? He didn't come to call the righteous. God showed his love in that while we were still, say with me, church, sinners, weak, ungodly, unreconciled, it was those people. That's us. And suddenly, the gift of God's love, it just leaves you speechless. Why would God... Act this way to us. And so when you look at six days of Christ's life that culminated the cross, you're left with this realization. He died to undeniably show that God loves us even while we were sinners. You see, this text, I just kind of scratched the surface of it, but it opens up some other verses to us that I think you, you know but they mean a whole lot more in this moment, like John 3.16. Would you say it with me? And let what we've just kind of heard kind of resonate as you read this verse now. Ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Hallelujah, church. Don't you love the way the author there says God so loved the world. This same author, he penned an historical account of Christ's life, the Gospel of John, but he also wrote a letter to some churches. Here's how he wrote this very same thought in that letter that was written a few years later. 1 John 3, 1. Read this with me. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. And how does, how does one become a child of God? Go back to John 3.16. Because whoever believes in him. And who is him? It's Jesus, the one who was crucified in our place. Who bore God's wrath in our place. You see, the cross, the passion week of Christ, undeniably proves God's love for us. And then offers us this mind-boggling, life-giving implication. That because he actually died, you can actually live. Notice my phrasing there. Actually died. This is mind-boggling. It's life-giving. It's incredible. 
It causes us to be speechless, to wonder, to gaze, and, and to stare at the treasure of Christ. That in real time and space, because he actually died, guess what you can do? By believing in Jesus, you can actually live. That when your death day comes, you will not face it as one who is under God's wrath and then pay for your sins in an infinite manner in separation from God. But instead, God sees you as righteous. And on the day of your death, he welcomes you into his presence. Wow. Yes, we are undeniably shown the love of God in the actual historical time and space death of Jesus. And it says to us, because he died, I can actually live. This is exactly what Corey Swan experienced. You probably don't know Corey. Some of you may. He sits back there usually at 8.30, kind of in that area where Lindsay and Nate and um, you know, and is kind of in that area. I was talking to him last Sunday a little bit, just about um, some things related to his conversion, his belief, and over a period of, over a conversation, he relayed to me, said, well, Todd, it was, I was sitting back there in that area on one Sunday as the gospel was being shared, and I realized that's, that's, that's what I'm looking for. That's, that's what I need. I'm lost without Christ. And he said, I remember in that chair saying, God, if you'll save me through Jesus, I'm in. God did that. He says, Todd, I left here a 50 pounds lighter, <laughs> metaphorically speaking. And he said to me, and this was a few years ago, he said, Sunday said, man, I've been 50 pounds lighter ever since. You know what he experienced? He experienced the death of Jesus in real time and space, bringing him life in real time and space. So that sounds too good to be true, Todd. Are you telling me that that's, that's accurate? Yes, it's where the evidence leads us, by the way. You see, I'm asking you this morning to follow the clues. I'm asking you to follow the evidence of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. The evidence, the clues, the time and space, evidential historical markers, the tags provided for us by witnesses, historical accounts, where do they lead you? They lead you to a cross, which shows undeniably that God loves you. You see, this is what we do in other areas. We, we look at the evidence, and we go where it leads us. Whether you're in research, and criminal work, investigative uh, vocations, you, you look to the evidence, and you follow it. And we did this in, in the car the other day. Julie and I did. We were driving to Iowa City. She reads me this headline. I say to her, I don't believe that for a second. She kind of smirks and says, sometimes you're so skeptical about everything. And we kind of chuckle. And I say, well, there's just no proof of that. If you read the headline, and she said, well, let me read more. And she begins to read more. And suddenly there are names of institutions and people and doctors and situations and dates. And she's kind of like, you believe me now? You believe me now? And I say to her the best words a husband can say. I said, you're right, honey. Um, that is true. And over time, as she read it, the evidence led to the truth of that article. I'm asking you this morning, what are you going to do with the evidence laid out for us over six days that Jesus in real time and space lived and breathed and ultimately died as the, as the final expression of God's incredible love for you? What's your response to that? That's where I want to leave you now. I want to leave you at a place where we can linger over our response. 
Because love like that, it cannot sit idle in front of us. Love like that demands a response. In fact, here's what's going to happen. Some of you this morning, hopefully, will respond to God's love for the very first time. You'll respond to God's love as seen in the death of Christ for the first time and you'll trust Jesus as your only way to be saved. You'll stop unbelieving. You'll repent of that and you'll believe. You'll have faith in Christ as the only way to be reconciled to God. And you'll be saved. Hallelujah. Others of you will experience verse 5 again this morning. You'll process this. You'll think of these verses and the Holy Spirit will shed abroad in your heart the love of God. And you'll think, but I don't deserve that. And you'll think back to sins you committed this week. You'll think back to some words you said this morning. You'll think back to things you wish you'd never done. Your mind will be flooded with, with a thousand reasons why God should love you. And you'll remember still the cross and you'll think, He does. He does love me. In real time and space, historically, theologically, realistically, God loves me. And the Holy Spirit will shed abroad his love in your heart. And you'll be left speechless. Because love like this can't sit idle. We have to respond, church, to this man of sorrows to this one who is now isolatingly alone, suffering for our sin. Six days ago, he entered as king to the cheers of the throng. It's not the case right now. But in his isolation, in his nakedness, in his suffering, he's proving without any doubt that God loves you. Would you trust him today? Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.